Father, as we open your word, I pray that you would speak to us. We need your Holy Spirit to work in our lives so that we are open and receptive, that we can be challenged, inspired, and ultimately transformed to be more like Christ. So, Father, please work this morning by your Spirit in each life here. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. On July 9th of this year, Bob Salem began going up Pikes Peak, 12.6 miles. He completed that hike Friday morning, seven days. Now, it did not take him that long because he is a much older person and just had a hard time getting up the mountain. It didn't take him that long because he has a physical handicap. It took him that long because he was doing something else while he was going up the mountain. He had knee pads on. He had a CPAP face mask. And attached to that was a black plastic serving spoon. And he was on his hands and knees the entire time pushing a peanut up Pike's Peak with that plastic spoon, using only his nose, like this. Seven days. On the first day, as he was going up, I know you might find this strange, but people kept stopping him and asking him what in the world he was doing. And it was distracting him and making his journey too slow. So he began to travel at night only. He also was supposed to have someone go with him, Um, to carry his supplies. Now, to be honest, I'm not sure how many supplies he had because he said he lived off of peanuts, surprising, Pop-Tarts, and crackers. But they wouldn't carry his backpack, whoever it was, so this is what he did. He would walk as far as he felt like he could, set the backpack down, walk all the way back to where he started, and crawl and push his peanut to the backpack. Then he would do it again. So we actually went up Pice Peak twice. <laughs> Why in the world would somebody do this? Well, this year is the 150th celebration of the city of Manitou, in, Manitou Springs in Colorado. And he's doing it for this celebration. Does that help? <laughs> no. You know... I read this, and I thought, I applaud his enthusiasm, his devotion, his commitment. But if you are going to put that much energy into something, maybe make it a little more relevant to what you're celebrating or committed to or devoted to. Maybe make it something that like honors what you're trying to do a little more than pushing a peanut up Pike's Peak with your nose. Because I thought, you know, we're all devoted to certain things. I would say that I'm devoted to my family, devoted to my job. There's a number of things I'm devoted to. But I have one child right now who can drive, and I have three who cannot. 
one of mine who cannot is 11. If I spent the next year saving money, sacrificing, doing everything I could, and I bought him a car when he turned 12, yes, I would be committed, but I might also be committed by my wife after doing that. Because if we're going to really put all of our energy into doing something, we want it to count. We want it to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. And when Jesus goes to this home of the Pharisee, what you need to know is the Pharisees and the experts in the law, both of whom he's going to address, both groups want to honor God. Both groups want to be holy. They want to serve. And they are giving a lot to do that. But what happens when we're not giving in the right way or to the right things? What happens when we're putting all of our energy into something and missing something that is so vital to it that it becomes nothing more than pushing a peanut up Pike's Peak? I don't know about you, But I believe very firmly our commitment to God is the most important commitment we can make because it will impact everything else. And because he is our creator, we're made in his image. And yet, if we don't commit in the right way, we may just be pushing a peanut up Pike's Peak. Open your Bible, if you would, to Luke chapter 11. Page 1482 in the Pew Bibles. Luke chapter 11. We're starting in verse 37. Luke chapter 11 and verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, he has just given some sermons. And the Pharisee is very likely one who was there listening. And as Jesus finishes giving these messages, the Pharisee invites him to eat with him. Come into my home. This is the second time a Pharisee has done this in the Gospel of Luke. Earlier on, another Pharisee did the same thing. Invited Jesus in for a meal. So Jesus went in, reclined at the table. But, and this but kind of sets the whole scene This changes the direction of this meal. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. That word surprised is a very strong word in Greek. It can mean shocked, amazed. So it's not just a, huh, that's interesting. It's more of a, whoa, what? And in a negative sense, it can mean to be disturbed by something. This act of Jesus, by not washing before the meal, has a huge impact on the Pharisee. He is just, wow. Why? Well, it's not for hygiene purposes. Everybody who has kids has had their kids come to eat with dirty hands before In fact, when we were all kids, we came to eat with dirty hands. It's not about hygiene. He's not going, oh my gosh, I'm grossed out. Like your hands are all dirty. They might have been based on where they lived in the first century, but it's not it. It was because this act of washing 
was a very significant religious duty that the leaders always did. And Jesus didn't do it. And the Pharisee thought he would. Why? If you go back and you look at what Jesus was teaching right before this, Jesus was denouncing this entire generation. Not ours, his. In fact, to the point of saying to that generation, the men of Nineveh will rise up in condemnation of you because you're not listening. You're not following God like you should. Now, if you are a Pharisee, you believe genuinely that you are following God. You believe as you search so hard to know the scriptures, to follow all the laws, that you're doing the right thing. But you also look out at the crowds and recognize they're way below you. They're not doing all of these things. They have so far to go. And this is what I think happened. I think the Pharisee listened to the words of Jesus and went, oh, you are so right. You and I... We've got this stuff. You are so right. These folks out here, they need this. And so he says, come to my home and let's eat together. Come join me. And so the Pharisee comes, Jesus comes into the Pharisee's home. And then the first thing that happens is he doesn't wash like he's supposed to. And the Pharisee goes, what? I thought you were like me. I thought you understood. I thought you were following all the rules. A couple of weeks ago, I preached a message about the ways that we often assume Jesus is on our side. We often think he believes the things we believe. That's where the Pharisee is. The Pharisee is deluded by his own way of looking at things. There's a self-deception happening. He can't even imagine Jesus wouldn't do this because he's already convinced That Jesus believes what he believes. So this year, there were a group of Russians that bet on Indian cricket. The premier Indian league. And this group of Russians was spending lots of money betting on the sport of cricket. And it went all the way through the season into the quarterfinals before it was discovered that the entire time in India, there was a group of farmers and unemployed teenagers who got together with HD cameras, floodlights, and a farm and staged a season of premier Indian cricket. They got jerseys. They made sure that when they videoed the players, they never got close enough to the faces that you could tell that those weren't the actual players. They had referees. They had announcers. They had commentators. You know, you listen to sports and somebody's like, they had commentators going on. They also had betting that was live betting. And when bets were being made, they would radio down to the refs to tell them what had to happen next so the bets would lose. They were using cameras so that when the ball went up in the air, they would shoot the camera up in the air, you would see the sky for a moment, 
And then it could go wherever it needed to go. And they fooled these guys up to the quarterfinals. And here's the interesting thing. If you're paying any attention to cricket, the Premier Indian Cricket League had ended three weeks before this actually started. (laughs) Their season was done. But these guys wanted it so badly, they couldn't see all the signs. They were deluded because they just went into this going, we want this, we see this, we think these things. And there were a lot of signs If you compare it, there's one video you can find online. They removed all of it. There's one video. It looks a little different than the professional one. (laughs) Just good enough to pass. I want to ask you a question. And it leads into what he tells the Pharisees and what he tells the experts in the law. Does Jesus ever surprise you? Does he ever shock you? Does he ever say or do something that you don't like? That you think, no, like that that can't be. Because if he never shocks you, I would argue you are self-deluded. He has got to shock us at times. I want to read you a couple of things. And I just want you to hear them for what they are. Don't spiritualize them. Don't add a bunch of theology into this. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Do you ever believe that? Honestly. When people attack you or say bad things about you or gossip about you or anything, do you ever think, I'm blessed? Or do you think, ugh? I mean, a couple other things. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. That's good. I agree with that. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anybody ever take that and go, wait a minute, I got to rethink here. I think I get mad at somebody every single day. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. I could just keep reading the Sermon on the Mount. And if we aren't going, Jesus, I don't even know how to do that. Do you really mean that? Are you serious? I'm supposed to love my enemy? I could barely love the people in my household sometimes. And they could definitely barely love me sometimes. And you want me to love my enemy? If Jesus doesn't shock you sometimes, maybe it's because you're deluding yourself. You think he's way too much like you. And yet, every one of us knows how unholy we are. We need him and we need his light. We need him directing us, not just agreeing with us and doing all the stuff that we think is right. But he's the light that we're looking to. And sometimes that should entail us going, I don't like this. I don't get this. I am surprised by this. Well, we'll see their reaction in just a moment. But here's what he does. 
All right, this is this would be so awkward. Have you ever been in a in like a a living room and somebody stands up and they say something and everybody just goes quiet because you're like, oh my gosh, did they just do that? And then you're wondering who's going to say the next thing and like nobody wants to look anybody else in the eye. I mean, it happens in families all the time. Well, this scene has got to be exceedingly awkward. You just invited this religious leader, Jesus, that everybody really likes, into your home. He comes in, he reclines at the table, and then you're going, oh my gosh, he didn't wash his hands. And this is what Jesus does. Then the Lord said to him, and I just, I don't know that I have the stones to do this. (laughs) He stands up and he says, now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish. That's good. And he'll even say, that's good. That's... But inside, you are full of, full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. And it's not just this Pharisee. We know there's experts of the law. There's other Pharisees here. There's a group, a crowd here. And he's laying into the host. Keep going. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now... Uh, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Right, here's what he does. Physically, you can be talking about cups and dishes and all of this stuff that they would wash in ritual ways. And Jesus says, all of that's clean on the outside. That's great. But it's not clean on the inside. Just like you guys are not clean on the inside. And then he says, you foolish people. That word foolish means illogical. It means you don't make connections well. And he says that first to then go on and go, do you understand the person who made the outside of you also made the inside of you? You don't think that he wants all of it clean? You really think that the outside only is enough? You can leave the inside a mess. Recently, I found a Tupperware container It was sealed shut, and it had some food in it. And it had been sitting out for some indeterminate amount of time, sealed. And I picked up that Tupperware container, and it was perfectly clean on the outside. I had no issue carrying that container to the sink. Now, as I picked up and looked into the container, it was also perfectly clear that whatever food was in there, it had transformed into something else. It had a greenish, brownish, gray color to it. And the best part is when you pop the lid off. And it filled the home with the most wonderful scent you ever had. I just love that scent on a candle. You know, mold. It was great. So nasty. And none of you would ever want to use that Tupperware container, would you? I threw that Tupperware container away because I could not clean the thing. It was so nasty doesn't matter how clean the outside is. The Tupperware container is a full unit. You can't just use the outside. And he says the same thing is true of you guys. You're a full unit. And and I think he might say something like this to the Pharisees, and it's what you and I also need to hear. He would say to the Pharisees who very much focus on doing the right thing. Pharisees are very action-oriented. They want to know all the laws, 
So they know exactly what to do. They want to know exactly where they're supposed to be. They're very action-oriented. And I think what Jesus would say to them is, right actions are really good things, but they aren't enough if you don't also focus on motivation. That the motivation is really significant. In fact, this line that he says here in the NIV, it says, but now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Um, It is an extremely awkward sentence in Greek. And if you go look at multiple translations, you'll see it's translated in multiple different ways. The NIV took a really easy, kind of simple, okay, so if I give money to the poor, it'll all be clean inside of me. Um, It also does not convey what's behind this. It's something more like this. Give to the poor from your heart and everything will be clean. When your action and your heart are in alignment, then all of you is clean, the outside and the inside. We have to look at our motivations. Anybody who has forced themselves constantly to be the good one, to be the right one, to do all the right things, you know that if your heart's not in that over time, what happens? You get bitter, you get angry, you start judging other people. I mean, legalism comes from this idea. It's where the Pharisees are, we do all the right things. We ignore all the inside stuff. We just do all the right things. You're not doing the right thing. You're wrong, and I can judge you because I'm doing the right thing. Our motivations, our heart, our inward part, they're really, really important because they're part of who we are. He would say to the Pharisees, the inside and the outside, work on both. Don't stop doing the good deeds, but work on the heart that's behind them because you need them both, and we need them both, not just them. And he goes on to give them a number of woes. They're all kind of related to the same idea. I'm not going to walk through each one of them. I'm going to jump to the experts in the law. So he gets done, and the last thing he says to them in verse 44, Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. And the reason they don't know it is because you're doing all the right stuff on the outside, or at least a lot of it. But inside, you're a mess. And when people come into contact with you, it screws them up because your heart's not there and you can't help them with their heart. Well, the scene continues to get awkward. Verse 45, one of the experts in the law answered him, couldn't you just let it lie? (laughs) Do you have to keep this going? No, an expert in the law, well, wait a minute. Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, you should know Jesus by now. Do you think he's going to back down? Like, oh, oh, sorry, I didn't mean that. No, Jesus just dials in and keeps going. And he says to them, and you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. All right, so if the Pharisees are the doers, and here's the laws, and they're very action-oriented. The experts in the law are the guys who go, all right, we want to understand the scriptures as much as humanly possible. We want to make sure that all the laws are actually lining up. They're very critical thinkers. 
And Jesus would say to them, having the right answer is not enough if you don't also have compassion and recognize people. Simply heaping all the right answer onto them, all it does is burden them down. When Jesus at one time, he said, if you are weary, come to me. My yoke is light. I will help you. Because Jesus never did this. You're wrong, now go fix it. That was never him. It was always walking with people. It was always offering healing and compassion and help. I mean, when, even when he himself was beat down and worn out, when a crowd showed up and they needed him, and he looks out on them and he says, they are like sheep without a shepherd. He still looks for the ways to be with them, to help them. The woman at the well in Samaria, he has this whole conversation with her. And he talks with her and he works with her. He doesn't dump on her. Jesus would say to these experts in the law, man, it is good that you have such an understanding of the law. It is good that you love the scriptures like you do. But it is not enough only to have right answers. You have to recognize people. You have to be the one who's giving the right answer, but also helping provide the way that people get there. I feel like, I don't know how many times, dozens of times, in raising four children, I've had some moments where I've had to get onto them and, and I've lost control and I've been angry or I've yelled at them or I've like, go to your room. And, you know, and then at some point I'm walking away and I'm going, how does that help? How does that do anything? What I did is just told them why they're wrong, judged them for it, and then offered no way to make it better. Now, it doesn't mean our children should not be disciplined. They should, absolutely. But if we aren't also helping find an answer for them, we're missing out. We're being like the experts. Yeah, I got the answers. And I know there are a bunch of really smart people here. A lot of us have a lot of answers. But we need to be careful how we use those answers. Because the heart of God is that we be people that are whole, outside, inside. Actions, motivations. And the heart of God is that, yes, we be careful and smart. God values people being smart, using the brain he gave us. And yet, not being arrogant, not being prideful, not just throwing people the answer and then judging them, but saying, I'm going to walk with you in this. Those are the ways that if we use our energy to do that, we are honoring God. We are living in ways he wants us to live. This... uh, a couple days ago, our cat got out. We can't find him. Um, we're doing everything we can to find him, but cats are really difficult to find. And even, even talked to my former vet, we were good friends, and I'm like, what do we do? And he said, the hard part about cats is unlike dogs, 
They don't come to people. They run from people. And so if your cat's out, he's all around strangers, and most likely, even if somebody sees him, they're probably going to run away. So cats are really hard to find, and all you can do is post it on next door, hand out flyers. So that's what we're doing. And we spent yesterday walking a neighborhood putting up flyers. Now, you may know that my kids, two of my kids, three of my kids, sorry, I forgot about my daughter because she's old enough that I think of her as an adult. Um, my boys sit in the service and listen to the sermons. And so we talk to them afterwards. And my son yesterday, my 11-year-old son, he said, so dad, as we're on this walk, doing this cat, said, so is the cat going to be in the sermon tomorrow? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know yet. Maybe. He's like, all right, so what's your message about? I'm like, uh... Uh, well, it's about like, you know, really giving energy to something that matters, you know, not wasting your energy. And he said, okay, well, I don't like walking. You know that. I don't like walking anyway. I don't like hanging. I don't like walking. I'm not even sure sometimes I like moving. He said, but this, this is worth me walking to find our cat. Do you put your energy into what matters. Or, so I want to end with this. There's another reason that Bob Salem pushed that peanut up Pike's Peak. Back in 1929, Bill William, a native Texan, was bet $50. He could not push a peanut up Pike's Peak with his nose. It took him 28 days to do it. 184 peanuts, 29 pairs of gloves that he wore out going up that mountain. But he did it. Well, that wasn't good enough, so in 1964, another man from Manitou, Manitou Springs decided he would beat the record. He went up in eight days. Bob Salem was not just trying to honor his town. He wanted to beat the eight-day record. And he did. He did it in seven days. Mixed motivation. Not only was his action maybe not the best thing to bring honor to Manitou Springs, especially to the outside world, Apparently in Manitou Springs, peanut pushing is a little bit of a thing. There was some honor within that little city. They gave him two plaques to celebrate his achievement, and they let him keep the peanut. However, that doesn't do much for the rest of us to honor that town. And we find out it wasn't even all about the town. It was also about him breaking a record. <laughs> Let's get our motivations under control. Let's put our energy kind of like my son, into doing something that matters, serving the Lord in the way that the Lord wants us to serve him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that teaches us, that shows us who you are, what you are looking for in our lives, and Lord, that can be the inspiration to help us move toward being more like you and honoring you. And so, Lord, look at our hearts. 
Look at our motivations. Help us to be honest. And help us to leave this place wanting to do right actions with right motivations. Wanting to have right answers, but also a right attitude. That we might honor you by how we live. In Jesus' name, amen.